wasn't that long ago when an IT system at a major pipeline on the East Coast suffered a ransomware attack. While the OT system was viable and up and running, the IT side was forced down trying to figure out what to do. What happened next was the company shut down operations and thousands of consumers in a panic flooded gas stations on the East Coast causing a shortage of gasoline. In the usual phrase you hear from these types of attacks, Colonial Pipeline shut down operations out of an abundance of caution. Now, there are plenty of reasons for why uh, Colonial did what they did, but I'm thinking if they had any kind of resiliency plan, the impact of that incident could have been less severe and maybe not as costly. Now, that's just one example, but there is no doubt attacks are becoming more targeted and more sophisticated toward IoT which means companies need to be able to find an attack and remain as resilient as possible before it does damage. So you don't have to hear a company say they had to shut down operations out of an abundance of caution. Resiliency is key. And with us today to talk about OT resiliency is Michael Ruiz, Vice President and General Manager of Cyber Innovation at Honeywell. Michael, welcome. It's really great to be here. Uh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to digging into this topic. It's an important one for our, our way of life, I think, nationally and globally. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we've been talking about, at ISS Source, we've been talking about resiliency for a long time. And the topic was very popular years ago, but then other things seem to come in and take over the top spot and they remain more top of mind. But having said that, I'm going to start off with slightly off kilter here, and you'll see where I'm heading in a moment. But are you seeing more attacks today? So, I mean, that's always a hard question to answer because I think the attacks might be more in quantity. However, I think severities vary greatly. We're in a space right now, given the current geopolitical mechanisms or things that we're seeing in the world. We're seeing both an uptick in the numbers as well as the severity of the attacks that are happening. Nation states looking to disrupt other nation states, cyber criminals trying to monetize opportunity through cyber attack. I think you're seeing now also generative AI playing a major role in this, lowering the barrier for entry uh, on the amount of skills that you have to have in order to be able to do an attack of, of any kind of size or import. So I do see the numbers going up, severity's increasing. You know, it's hard to quantify right now because I don't think we have complete data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a sister publication called ICS Strive, which is essentially an incident database. And, and we just released a report saying that in 2022, we reported on 218 incidents that we brought into the database, 57 of which were attacks that ended up in some kind of physical consequence for a facility. And this is just focused on the OT side. Now, having said that, are you seeing those types of attacks shutting down operations or causing some kind of issue within an organization? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing definitely organizations that are being impacted. I don't know that they are full shutdowns kind of in the colonial pipeline sense, but we are seeing that, you know, operations being disrupted, organizations uh, having to take probably steeper action than they may want to in order to uh, move forward and to recover. We are seeing definitely more attacks and higher severity for sure. Mm -hmm. And as you say, we are seeing more attacks and seeing them every day. But 
Short of stopping an attack in its steps, which really doesn't happen very often. Now, when something does get through, are manufacturers prepared today to ward off an attack and stay up and running? You know, I'd like to say that the news is better here than it is. I I recently saw a report that shows that in OT space, an intruder can live in a network, in an organization's network, for over 200 days. By IT security standards, that is an unconscionable number, but seems to happen uh, more often than we like to believe in the OT spaces. That's something that has to change if we want to have uh, more secure, resilient, critical infrastructure. We need to really focus and be more proactive in the way that we're providing security to those systems. Mm-hmm. Now, what does in this environment, you know, there are different definitions for the same word. So, you know, what does resiliency mean to you? I think of resiliency really in two contexts is uh, proactive versus reactive. The first one being, what can I do to fortify my organization, fortify my networks in order to avoid or minimize uh, any issues that I may have? So things like cyber hygiene, you know, ensuring that your systems are patched and up to date and that you're using the latest antivirus rules and the latest policies uh, in order to protect your organization, ensuring that you're compliant to your organization's policies and doing all of this kind of in a proactive kind of way. The second component is a more reactive component. Now that a incident has happened, do I have an incident recovery plan that I can fall back on? Do I have a well-defined set of process and procedures that's going to allow me to rebound or recover uh, more quickly from this incident that's happening? I think in both cases, uh, we see organizations struggling to have the right level of maturity there. Many organizations you know, are falling behind on their patching and their cyber hygiene. Their level of maturity from a uh, cyber hygiene perspective is lower than we'd like to see, especially in some of the critical infrastructure. From a reactive perspective, I think that we have plans in place that are probably more, not as detailed as they need to be, not as uh, sophisticated as we'd like them to be. We do see the out of abundance of caution, we brought the network down kinds of things because that's the safest thing to do, right? And if you don't have very detailed recovery plans, if you're not practicing those recovery plans, if you're not doing tabletop exercises to ensure that your team is ready to react at a moment's notice, then the abundance of caution necessity becomes a necessity. Do you find that this is more of something that we're getting better at? That So the abundance of caution uh, phrase isn't used as often, or do you find it still people are finding it acceptable to have that environment? Look, I think we're getting better. I don't think we're getting better fast enough. I think that the amount of attacks, the severity of those attacks are getting greater. And I don't know that we are keeping up with uh, in our incident response plans with those things. So the fallback always becomes, right, to shut down the network and go through each device uh, in painstaking detail to ensure that you're safe again. This could bring an organization down for days or, or weeks at times. And I think we could do a better job as an industry, both IT and OT, to ensure that we're able to recover from these events more quickly and, and minimize uh, the impact that they can have. Yeah. Now, we have seen an attack on the IT side that has shut down operations. You know, the the classic case is the Colonial Pipeline, and not to keep picking on them, but I mean, that is the classic case. But have you heard of an organization that stays up and running despite an attack? Or have you seen that at all? Oh, absolutely. I, I think there are all kinds of organizations that have an attack, and they may bring down a segment of their network. They may 
isolate you know, a set of machines in their network while they go through a recovery process. In fact, I would say most of the lower impact kinds of events are recovered with systems still in line. I think it's when we when we don't have a clear sense of what the threat is or how fast it will move through our network or what damage it could potentially do. It's, it's that lack of knowledge that forces a more drastic set of actions. But when you have the right mechanisms in place to identify the threat, to uh, you have the right network segmentation in order to be able to isolate that threat when you can get down quickly to which server has the problem and, and isolate that server the more you can do that in a rapid fashion, the less necessity there is for bringing down the entire operation. Okay. We've seen attacks occurring against companies that work with perishable goods. I mean, it seems to me that they would have to be more focused on remaining as resilient as possible. You know, just how can an organization suffer an attack and still stay up and running, kind of focusing on the perishable goods area, like, you know, like, JBS Meats was hit way back when, or the Iowa Food Cooperative was hit with a ransomware attack way back when during peak harvest season. I mean, how can a company just stay up and running? I think it goes back to, you know, what what I said a moment ago. I think you have to have a plan in place that allows you to have the proper network segmentation in order to be able to isolate parts of your network that become contaminated. I think you have to have a fallback plan in place. If you put yourself in the position of an attacker, I'm going to want to hit organizations that are going to be time constrained. So perishable foods during the harvest season makes for an amazing target if you're an attacker, because you as the organization, if you don't have the right mechanisms in place to protect your inventory, you're, you're going to fall victim to some major losses. And so if I can avoid some of those losses by going ahead and taking immediate control of my system by paying the ransomware. I may be incentivized to want to take that action. I, I think it's the wrong action. I think that all security folks would tell you, uh, never pay the ransomware, always have a contingency plan that allows you to recover. I think that's the challenge is that a lot of organizations aren't willing to make the investments to be proactive and, and ensure that they have that level of resiliency in their networks. Just to back that up a little bit. So if you've seen a company that was hit by ransomware, do you see them becoming more attuned to their, you know, creating some kind of resiliency plan or any kind of stepping up their cybersecurity? Or are they just saying, well, that's that's kind of like a cost of doing business? I don't know that I can comment on that. I don't know that I've seen it firsthand. The old adage used to be, right, the safest airlines to fly is the one that recently had a major incident because they're redoubling all of their efforts to ensure that that they don't have a second issue. I don't know that we're seeing that in cybersecurity space. I don't know that I would say that organizations that just had an incident are now doubling down to ensure that it doesn't happen again. I don't know that I've seen too many instances of it of the same company being hit multiple times and in succession. So I'm guessing that there's probably things that are going on to create greater safety, if you will, greater security for those organizations. But I, I don't have firsthand knowledge of it for sure. I was just saying that the perishable good area, are you seeing more attacks? Are you seeing those kinds of companies being hit by attacks? Or in my world of reporting on all this stuff, am I... Um overstepping it? Or are you seeing that also? 
Well, I guess what I would say is that I think that attacks, uh, as I said at the beginning, are kind of motivated, in my mind, from two different vantage points, uh, nation state actors trying to disrupt other nation state actors and cyber criminals trying to monetize cybersecurity threats. I think in the case of you know perishable foods, this is a place where it's appealing to both. If I'm trying to disrupt one nation state, if I'm a nation state trying to disrupt another, hitting the food supply chain is a devastating disruption for that country that's being attacked. If I'm a cyber criminal and I'm looking for something that is time sensitive, has a huge opportunity to pay, the food industry is going to be very appealing for very much the same reasons that it's appealing to the nation state actors. So I think in that case, I think those are organizations that are probably in the crosshairs of cyber bad actors, if you will. Yeah. And, and I think they, you know, more needs to be done in, in that supply chain space to, to fortify or make more resilient those organizations. This kind of relates to what you were saying before. Do you see companies testing and understanding what they uh, could do to remain as resilient as possible? I'm with you. I think that the term resiliency was very hot for a while and, and has kind of fallen off. I think it's something that is probably not necessarily top of mind for a lot of organizations, but I think that what we're seeing more of is organizations, even at the board level, asking the question of what is the impact of cybersecurity or cybersecurity threat to our top line or to our bottom line or to our organization's reputation kind of writ large. And now I think we're looking at it more holistically. So it's not about resiliency or necessarily about the specific kind of compliance mechanisms, but really asking the business question of what is the cost of doing this? And more importantly, what's the cost of not doing this? And where should I go from a business as a business decision? I think that's the area where we're starting to see more cybersecurity in the boardroom than we've ever seen before. Now, uh, companies surely, as we started off discussion, uh, surely have some form of a security plan. But do you feel that they're building a resiliency component into that security plan at all? Or is there a separate plan more related to like a business continuity plan? I think everybody builds a security plan, believing that they've taken resiliency into account. You know, a lot of times those plans are at a very high level, not detailed enough. And I don't think they've taken the, the full threat into consideration. I think a lot of times we overestimate how safe we think we are or our how isolated our networks might be. And then we find ourselves in the middle of a situation that is far greater than we thought. So I think that everybody's doing kind of what they believe to be the right thing and they're incrementally getting better. But I think the attacks are getting more sophisticated, happening at a higher rate and creating more damage than they have in the past. And so I think greater investment and renewed focus uh, in this area is crucial. Mm -hmm. Now, in today's environment of uh, a shortage of qualified security personnel, um, do you feel resiliency is more weighted toward a technology solution or is it still like a, a people or process? We always talk about the three-legged stool of people, process, and technology, but do you feel that it's a little bit more weighted toward technology? I think it needs to be more weighted towards technology, right? I think the 
we're only going to produce as many cybersecurity experts every year as is possible. This is not a field that you can walk into and directly. Usually you come to cybersecurity, either you were you came up the network engineering path and you've started to specialize in cybersecurity, or you've come up the software development product side, and then you specialize in cybersecurity. So this is not a short path to get to level of expertise. And when you add on top of that, the, the need for you know expertise in the OT space on top of everything else, it, it becomes an even longer route. So I think technology becomes a force multiplier here. You know, I mentioned earlier how generative AI is a threat to cybersecurity. You know, I think it also is a double-edged sword and can be a huge boon to it. I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of companies that are adopting generative AI as mechanisms in order to create a man-machine symbiosis for asking a question about a security problem and getting a an answer from a generative AI that allows a person to take action. So I now maybe can start to capture more tacit knowledge from experts into these systems and have more junior people being able to do higher order functions that they might otherwise not been able to do before. So I think we have great opportunity here with generative AI to enable the workforce in cybersecurity and to improve the way that we think about cybersecurity writ large, resiliency in, in particular, creating better plans, getting there faster. I think there's just a, a huge opportunity here in the in the coming years. And actually, I'm just thinking it would be interesting to see how uh, an AI-generated attack and an AI-generated security solution could uh, square off against one another to see what would happen. I still think we're quite a ways from that. If we think about generative AI models today, they're really the next best word generator. And it's really dependent on the training set that it has in order to be able to kind of formulate an answer. And, and so if you trained it with the right set of attacks and you bounded the attacks to only those attacks, and you also had kind of the resolution to that, it would probably do okay. The problem is that attacks are always novel, new, and, and a variant of something we've seen before. And I don't think that uh, large language models where they are today are really attuned to that in a great way. It is really a tool that enhances is the person behind the keyboard. And it makes information more readily available. It allows you to be able to do something that you already know how to do faster and more effectively. I don't know where at a place yet that it is reasoning or giving you an answer that's reason based on context. The industry is moving quickly and, and there's some really cool things that are going on out there from that perspective. Yeah, no, I, I hear you there. I mean, from when I started 13 years ago to now, it, in terms of that kind of environment, it seems like it's night and day. Now, I like to leave readers or listeners with a series of best practices or some kind of items that they can look at or listen to. And that's, do you have any best practices for creating a resilient manufacturing environment? I would say you have to be both proactive and reactive. I think you have to prepare so that you can avoid as many incidents as possible. And then you have to be ready for an incident when an incident does happen. So I think making sure that you have good cyber hygiene, that you're ensuring that you have a mechanism in place in order to understand the patch level of all of your servers to be able to you know, keep up with all of the patches that are coming out, ensure that you understand where the vulnerabilities are in your network and remediate those areas that are most critical to your organization. I think the mistake that we we make often in cybersecurity is that we think that everything has to be at the same level of security. And I would say that the things that are most critical need to be at the highest level of security and those things touching those most critical things need to be at the highest level of security. As you get further and further away from those critical systems, it becomes 
less important for them to be kind of at that same high level of security, although you don't want to make it easy for someone to get into your system. So I think that's the first part is to ensure that you proactively take care of, I guess, of the cyber hygiene of your organization so that you can protect those most important things. And then from a reactive perspective, you you need an incident response plan. You need to ensure that you tabletop that on a regular basis, that you are throwing chaos into those exercises because no cyber attack happens in a scripted manner. It's free flowing and they are all different. And, And so you want to make sure that your team that is on the incident response side is able to reason through the situation, can take appropriate action. I think you want to kind of focus and practice on on actions that are going to create the least harm to the business. Maybe the right thing to do is to shut off all operations, but maybe the best thing to do is to try to take a couple of actions in order to isolate something before you have to shut everything down. Those are always tough decisions to make in the moment. I have found myself in those spots in the past. And when you're the guy that's got to make the call, you always want to take the action that's going to provide the greatest amount of security in the fastest amount of time. And that's often turning everything off, unplugging for the wall. Okay, well, Michael, thank you. That's about all the time we have for today. So for Michael Ruiz and Honeywell, this is Greg Hale saying thank you for joining us on Today with ISS Source.